Halloween. We bid you welcome. This is our Halloween episode, so we're going to talk about some spooky stuff today. I am Connor Boyle. I'm one of your co-hosts for the Dadlit Podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, not Connor Boyle. Okay. Uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm Chris Ludwig, but I figured since it's an audio medium, I can't wear a Halloween mask to hide my identity, so I'll just proclaim some ridiculous thing. So typically, we talk about Dadlit as uh, kind of military and thriller and political and legal literature um, fiction. We haven't really talked about horror. Well, you and I have, but we haven't discussed it on the podcast yet. And this is the best month to do that. It seems like there's really not that much room for horror in in this genre we're calling dad lit because it's it's occupied by more uh, i'll use i'll say realistic horrors like political horrors and you know uh um, i don't know it's just it's not it doesn't there's not much room for the supernatural in it political horrors and militias and uh, ecological disasters natural disasters criminals uh those kinds of things are kind of the horrors of Dadlit, um, or pesky neighbors, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I would also, I'm just going to start off being combative right away. I have a really cool uh, counterpoint to the argument you're making. Okay, go ahead. Um, no, no, we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, okay. Well, what I was going to say is that if you do dig a little bit deeper, you can see in with some authors, there are components of horror there, you know, particularly Michael Crichton, because he does. I was going to say yeah. that. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I, Techno I thrillers. You, Thank you. I love you too. I love, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I was saying like, I think Crichton is the closest dad lit author we get to uh, horror. Um, many of his stories have a horror element if they're not outright horror. Uh, Congo is is horror in like a, a jungle adventure. Uh, Jurassic Park obviously is is horror, um, but we even get things like um, like Sphere, which is like a techno government uh, deep under the ocean like research center kind of horror. Um, and Andromeda get, Strain. Andromeda Strain, which is like a an outbreak horror, which yeah. is pretty good. It's short. Um, you get Terminal Man, that's like a medical horror. And but um, Terminal Man also kind of has like a uh, almost like a sl- slasher component, like when the, it does. the, the Terminal it's Man. It's a techno slasher. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever. I don't think anyone's ever coined the term techno slasher. But you recently, I think today, just watched a techno th- slasher. I did. What, what Terminator? Yeah, That's I mean right. it's not really a slasher; it's a shoot 'em up, but it has that same kind of vein. Like it's it's a a, a man with a weapon coming after people yeah, and so stalking. He just turns, yeah, he turns out to be a metal man. Yes, yes, yes. So there is there are horror elements that have affected, um, uh, dadlit authors. But we are going to talk about a few texts today that are in themselves not exactly traditional dad lit. As, we, as we've said in the past, we like to bend the definition just to suit our needs. So we're going to talk about a few different stories um, by Stephen King that are kind of dad lit adjacent. Stephen King, I think, is another author that gets um, – he dips his toes into dad lit rather than being dad lit dipping its toes into horror. 
Stephen King is also a really big fan of the Jack Reacher series and is kind of pals with Lee Child, the author of it. Um, oh, man, they need to team up and write a book. Well, in the book Under the Dome, um, which is a sort of a science fictional Stephen King book, there is a Jack Reacher reference, like uh, this military character shows up and um, is like, hey, if you if if you need anyone to verify my credentials, just contact, you know, Jack Reacher in Washington. So uh, good luck. Know, he's not in the office. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, it's probably a hard guy to get on the phone. Uh, it's gonna be hard to find him. He only has a toothbrush and a bank card. How are you going to call him? Hey, if you want to verify my credentials, start looking in every cheap motel on the eastern seaboard until nah, you find- diners, son. Diners. Yeah. Look for the best pie and you might find him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, we have talked about doing- uh, I'm kind of uh, spilling the beans here, but we've talked about doing like a Jack Reacher ongoing fan fiction story that- uh, I would like to introduce some horror components into the Jack Reacher uh, universe if we do that. So, yeah. yeah, I'm excited for that. We've 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 touched on it and and definitely talked about it, and I'd love to to see that come to fruition and posted somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also I'm also currently working on um, a couple of horror stories for October. I've I am sponsoring a writing contest among my friends, so I've been working on. Um, I was working on a story, but it has gotten too big and too out of control it's never going to get finished on deadline so uh, i came up with a, another story idea today that i'm really proud of and uh i'm going to send it to you connor and maybe we'll post it maybe we'll post it uh before halloween so people can read it on instagram or wherever that's awesome yeah we should do that i actually got a horror story published earlier this year um, I don't think I've actually mentioned it since we've, uh, since it's come out. But the f- interesting thing is that since it's come out, the publisher has also gone out of business. So. Oh, I, no! <laughs> I don't think you can get a hold of it anymore. But, uh, if you're interested in it, it's a, it's aquatic horror. Um, it was published in this, uh, collection called Rampage on the Reef. Uh, you might be able to find like a used copy of it somewhere. Um, but since the publisher has, uh, doesn't ha- it was an imprint of a of a bigger publisher but since the imprint doesn't uh, exist anymore i don't even think you can get it on kindle but if you're interested in reading it just reach out to our instagram uh, account and i'll find some way to get it to you i mean i have pu- i i didn't give them all the publication rights on it so i can still share uh, the story i don't i'm not sure how that works if they went out of business well, I, well, I, I can we'll still discuss share it. that. We can discuss that. We can discuss that on our own later. I but, have the rights yeah, to to reproduce. If, if you it, guys so. are interested, reach out to us, and and we'll we can share both of our stories with you guys. Yeah, it'll be a a, a, a Halloween spooktacular. So, uh, getting back to the subject of Dadlit, are there any other um, kind of features of Dadlit or or Dadlit genres that that you feel like? kind of intersect with horror do you see elements of horror in in them um i mean certainly any of the horror and sci-fi kind of go hand in hand that's why michael Crichton's stuff is like generally horrific even if it isn't straight up horror um uh, i started reading a book this month that has a lot of the checklist in it like a lot of the dadlet checklist could get checked off um, I wanted to discuss that with you and Which book some is of the it? things that it has has in common. It's called The Deep by Nick Cutter. 
Okay, great. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to make the point that it's less common that we would find horror tropes within dadlit, and I think it's more common that we find dadlit tropes within horror. Um, and Nick yes. Cutter is a great example of that because he he writes. Um, I've read three of his books. Uh, I have the deep. I haven't read it. That's it, it, I've picked it up and started it like two or three times and, and liked it. But just like you know, life gets in the way and you I'm put gonna, it down. I'm, yeah, I've had that happen with so many books. A lot of the books that we'll talk about later when we go over what we're currently reading. But um, let me just tell you, the deep. I'm halfway through it, and it's a whole lot. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. It's not bad by any means. It's 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 keeping my attention. It's 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 spooky in the right ways. It's it's actually got me. It's chilled my spine, Connor, and not many horrors can do that. I went through a whole year of reading nothing but horror literature to try to find good, like, spine-chilling horror. And this did it by uh, attacking one of my real-life horrors and um, putting me into an uncomfortable position. But uh, it's a whole lot. It, it feels like a mishmash of multiple things that I love, and I don't know if it's going to pay off on all of them and i don't know how well it's going to resolve all of its um its allotness well the the, the um, most obvious sort of dadlet element of it is that it is set in a deep sea uh research station kind of like in the uh, well the abyss i think it was an oil a deep sea oil drilling platform but it is set at the bottom of the ocean yes correct? it's 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 in a it's in a deep sea uh research station quite like michael creighton's sphere which mm-hmm. is the first parallel i'll draw to this it's got a lot of things in common with that um, that book, and it does have submarines, so that's checklist item number one. Um, it does have uh, techno babble and uh, breezy scientific uh, dialogue. That's checklist item number two. Um, uh, we could we could go over the checklist all day, but that's not one. Of, that's not the book we came here to talk about. But mm-hmm. um, it does check a lot of the boxes off, and it's it had a plane in it earlier and a helicopter, so that's some items. Yeah the um, the the other Nick Cutter books uh, I've read um, two of them in particular. One of them called Little Heaven, uh, which I really like, and I feel like it's a really kind of a. Uh, underappreciated uh horror novel it is set in new I've mexico never, but yeah it's got, it, i've never heard of that it so it it's about this uh cult well it's about this cult this uh jim jones style people's temple type cult but this group of mercenaries that is hired to go and uh, locate the cult out in the mountains of new mexico and to extract this child that has been um kind of uh taken and uh uh, not kidnapped exactly, but sort of, um, and the indoctrinated kid, into the cult. Yeah, the the characters yeah, are really that, gritty, I mean, and they're veterans, and I there's a say, lot of guns. I gotta say that that sounds like dadlit to me. Yeah, I mean, but it has a heavy. Without that, without the paranormal element, I would say it it, it probably qualifies as dadlit. But there is a heavy kind of horror element. This sort of monstrous. Uh, uh, entity that kind of fuels all these things so there is like a, a very kind of paranormal element he also wrote this other book nick cutter is not the author's real name it's a pseudonym i forget his real name but he wrote this other book under a different pseudonym called uh called the preserve and he wrote it under the pseudonym patrick lestruska which is about a platoon of i think they're vietnam uh, veterans 
that are dropped into this uh, like like they're mercenaries now. They're dropped into this preserve that has like pretty much every kind of uh, monster conceivable, you know, vampires, zombies, a werewolf, all this stuff, and they have to fight their way out of it. So there are there are elements of like there's like military horror. And I feel like that's kind of a bridge between horror and dad. That's lit. so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that that almost sounds like another book that I read during that, that year of horror um, with another author that you're familiar with. Um, oh, God, what is his name? The guy that wrote um, Dan Simmons. Yeah. Oh, that's a, you know, Dan, that's dad lit. I would say that's dad. That as is well. dad lit. Uh, Dad, Dan Simmons wrote uh, a story called uh, Carrion Comfort, which is one of the longest books I've read. Uh, big, thick old thing. But it's about um, like vampires, but they're not like traditional blood-sucking vampires. They're like energy vampires, and they feed off of like people's suffering. And uh, the story is about a, um, a survivor of the Holocaust, and... Um, there was a vampire that was one of the uh, SS agents that like oversaw the internment camp um, that he was in and um, yeah. uh, the concentration camp rather. And uh, this guy survived and years later um, he becomes haunted by that, that same vampire. And there's a group of them that are all kind of like working against each other, which was kind of interesting, like different, how how vampires would fit into society over like the course of eons and how they'd all end up in different places and different situations mm-hmm. and they kind of the, the book is very long and very winding and there's like a vampire that's like a sleazy hollywood executive that like manipulates people with my, his like mind control and there's um like an elderly lady that's like a plantation owner like it's really there's some really cool uh characters and um exploring the tropes well i would i would say that dan simmons strength as a dad lit contender let's say is that he has a lot of historically set fiction and he has a he pays very close attention to historic detail to the point that it kind of turns some people off to his literature uh he wrote the terror which uh has has become very popular it was a tv show i've i've watched all but two episodes of the tv show i was house sitting that it's got that actor in it that you love i can't remember yeah the guy from chernobyl um uh K- K- Kieran. Oh no, that guy. Yeah, Kieran. Uh, Kieran Hines. Yeah, he's in it as well. Yeah, he plays a. I don't like his character in it. Um. Uh. But there's. Yeah, but you love that actor. I do. Yeah. But he's yeah. so he. Uh. I was house sitting and I watched like all six episodes, but then I had to go, so I have to watch the last two. Um. But so he, he wrote the terror. He also wrote this book. I have not read it. It's called The Abominable, which is I think a lot of people approached it based upon the reviews I read. They approached it hoping it would be kind of like the terror, except maybe with like mountain climbing and the abominable snowman. But apparently it's more just sort of like a tedious adventure novel about like yeah, an it's, expedition. It's like a, yeah, from what from what I read, because I almost read that at one point, but it sounds more like it's about the psychological horrors of being like trying to peak a mountain and like being on a, a treacherous yeah, the Himalayas. Uh, like t- tundric expedition in, in the snow and how people kind of like the terror how people kind of like get get on edge and lose their minds this is this is kind of this i guess it's related so i've been reading a lot more about cryptids and also about the history of like 
talk uh, history of writing of cryptids and i've i I, in the past year i've read um some like you know mag older magazine articles about the yeti and i read this one book that's like an adventure novel about an expedition to find the yeti and it was this you know in the early 20th century i think probably like into the like 60s and 70s as well there were you know writing about this is expeditions to find the abominable snowman in the Himalayas. And really, I think maybe we can talk about this in a future episode. Like this seems like it'd be like episode 300 because it's so niche. But I, I really think the Yeti adventure story is is really like its own literary form. Well, it's not its own literary form, but it's its own genre because like there are these like repeating elements of these of these Yeti stories. I think we could discuss that in uh, – we talked about doing an episode on Congo and um, uh, kind of the like adventure novel kind of vibe. We could probably yeah. um, slide it into that. For sure. Talk about, talk about you know, it, uh, expeditions with um, strange creatures, strange animals, things well, like that. Well, one of the things that, that, that I noticed is that because in Germany there's a big mountain climbing culture um, – you know, uh, it's it's sort of uh, competitive there. That a, there's always a lot of German characters who show up in these Yeti adventure stories. Oftentimes, they are uh, former Nazis. Uh, so if you have like a Nazi mountain climber uh, character, you know that's th- that's a very kind of common part of these Yeti stories. I mean, that's an easy kill right there. You can get gruesome with that, and it's fine. Yeah, uh, I'll have to send also, you one of these also, books. Also, now you're making me want to write a story that takes place during World War II and have like a crack team of commandos trying to like infiltrate a German castle and they have to like get like airdropped in and like go through the mountains and just like have a Yeti be in it and like the main anti- like like almost like Predator where it starts off as a <laughs> war movie yeah. and then there's like a creature hunting them. But do it with World War II and a Yeti instead. Well, the Yeti is 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 typically it's like in nepal and the himalayas so you'd yeah, have yeah. to I mean, move but there's, it all but you've over got, there i mean you could do oh it. but i'm sh- i'm sure there's one from that region you've got you've got yeti like creatures all over the world you've yeah. got the sasquatch um swamp got, ape the um, slash skunk yeah ape. swamp swamp yeah skunk ape there's a there's a ton so i'm sure you could find something that would fit yeah there there's really in every yeah in every place there is a version of this in australia as well Hell, just have just have the thule society or whatever it was called like have captured one from nepal and brought it back to this castle and then escaped but stephen king's a a good a good thing to talk about because he's i and the reason i, I kind of thought it'd be good to talk about some stephen king stories is because he he kind of represents uh, I, when I say a boomer perspective, I don't mean like the okay boomer, like the kind of obnoxious you know boomer. I think that he talks about certain events in history and offers a perspective of like life uh, as like from a dad you know dad lit age perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and he you could almost say it's like a a sense of Americana. Yes, he's very he's folksy. He references, you know, like things from from the time the books are set that 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 like, like kind of draw nu- you in. Like the, nu- the nuclear family and mm-hmm. like hard hardworking men, catalogs, um, tools, vehicles, like all of the stuff is like very Holmesy, very um, like dad lit kind of like 
centric. Um, and well, and the story that you and I wanted to talk about is extremely that. Yeah. So the story that we read, we read two of them. Um, the first one is Lawnmower Man. And I feel like the main character of that, who is a father, his name's Harold Parquette, would be like a dad lit reader. And this is kind of the point that I brought up earlier that I wanted to bring up. In all of the stories that I read, I was, you know, reading it through the scope of understanding it for the podcast. And I've realized there's two forms of dad lit characters or stories in these books. The one, the first is the classic dadlet escapism. It's we're making the protagonist somebody that dads reading this book are going to want to be. Dirk Pitt. This is, the, yeah, Dirk Pitt, or it can be more mundane than that, though. Like, hey, um, like the, the character from The Deep is this, like, kind of miserable, kind of, he, he had a kid, he, the kid went missing, he, his marriage fell apart, like everything's kind of like down on the dumps he's he's not hyper uh, masculine he's not hyper competent but he's wrapped up into this situation that is in a way escapism it's you're getting pulled out of your mundane life and being thrown into an adventure um i don't think people would want to be him because you're in a horrific situation which brings up the other thing that i was going to say which is the antithesis of escapism and that's where you get dadlit horror and that's where Lawnmower Man takes place is you are a dad and horrible things are happening to you and you're stuck in situations that you can't escape. It's immersion into the sort of like mundane aspects of domestic life as a, you know, working, uh, ordinary American. The, the, um, the concept of the Lawnmower Man and it, it would it would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the movie The Lawnmower Man, which has nothing to do with with this this story. Okay, okay, because I have never seen the movie, and as I was uh, reading the story, I have no idea how you'd make it into a movie and it be like credible. It has like, nothing to do with the story whatsoever. I guess it kind of started off like when they were like writing it and you know making you know. Or, pre-production for the movie they had an idea of like it was supposed to be based on the story but for it it just i it just snowballed into something completely different and stephen king actually sued to get his name taken off the project because he's like this has nothing to do with my story it is it isn't it is oh wow yeah so this but the the story the lawnmower man um begins with this character harold parquette and it, I don't know if it says it explicitly, but it seems like it's set in New England because he's really into the Boston Red Sox. He likes listening to him on the radio and drinking a couple beers. He's got a young daughter. And what happens is it's kind of uh, – it's almost kind Wait, of Wait, are you telling me – are you telling me that Stephen King wrote a story with a character from New England? Yeah, I know, right? That and the and that the Red Sox are mentioned in it. Um, wow. But what happens is he, you know, he has a lawn and he pays a kid in the neighborhood to cut his lawn. But um, uh, a gopher runs into the uh, lawnmower. Nope, nope, nope. It's the the neighbor's dog chases a cat into it. Okay, okay. So that's a cat runs into the lawnmower, yep. and it's a really gruesome scene. And it's just like it, it just spoils everything. And he gets rid of the lawnmower, and he he lets his lawn fall into disrepair over the course of a year. Oh yeah, it goes in it goes into vivid detail about the like month to month 
progression of the lawn and the, the month-to-month goings-on around his like house and yeah. uh neighborhood as like the neighbors start like uh ribbing him about his lawn and being like oh what's the price of alfalfa these days and yeah little kids um, are like hiding in it because it's kind of like yeah grass. they're using it to escape escape their responsibilities and stuff like just ducking into it and uh, he sees a gopher running around in there too yeah 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 that comes in later but um yeah so it's time to do something about it right so he goes into the newspaper and he sees an advertisement that says you know lawns cut you know, price is fair, price is reasonable. And he calls the number, gives them his address, and just a few hours, you know, t- falls asleep. He's at home at that point. Um, you know, his daughter's, uh, I think he mentions like his daughter's going on dates with people now. So, you know, he's kind of, he's he reminisces a little bit about his daughter being young. And, uh, you know, he, this is the kind of dad perspective where he has dad problems. You know, the lawn needs to get uh, mown. He drinks too much beer. You know, he wants to listen to the Red Sox and get drunk, but he can't really do that anymore. But anyways. Oh, man, he sure he sure does sleep a lot, though. He does. He's He takes a lot of naps, which I guess is a kind of a dad thing, too. I You know, it's like, hey. Oh, it absolutely is. You know what? It's not just a dad thing. I can say that I, I'm 35. I feel like I'm getting older. I I nap more often now too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's relatable. Yeah. So lawns mowed reasonable. Calls him up. Guy ends up showing up at his house, and uh, the guy who shows up is this big, burly, round guy in overalls, and he's just, yeah, he's got a bulging stomach that's almost bursting out of his overalls, and he's he's he is uh kind of a folksy folksy guy you know slap you on the back hey pal how's it going and uh you know he's he's chatting with harold like okay you know we will mow the lawn for you no problem um i have this uh passage i wanted to read that the first time i read it it stuck out to me and every time i read it i just really like it stephen king is really onto something here i think so harold okay um Harold stood helplessly helplessly aside, and the lawnmower man tromped ahead of him down the hall, through the living room and kitchen, and onto the back porch. Now Harold had placed the man, and everything was all right. He had seen the type before, working for the sanitation department and the highway repair crews out on the turnpike, always with a spare minute to lean on their shovels and smoke lucky strikes or camels, looking at you as if they were the salt of the earth, able to hit you for five or sleep with your wife any time they wanted to. Harold had always been slightly afraid of men like this. They were always tanned dark brown. There were always nets of wrinkles around their eyes, and they always knew what to do. I feel like that's a, re- yeah. a really good description of this sort of uh, uh, class difference that this older, you know, this 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 uh, kind of paunchy dad type character has where i think he works in an office or he has he does not have a yeah, manual it's, it's labor. Kind of, it's a kind of it's it's white collar looking down on blue collar it's white collar looking down on blue collar but it's also kind of acknowledging that like they're afraid of those people they're afraid of them uh partially because of their handiness and their sort of ability to respond to every any situation you know if you have like a flat tire or your car's like stalled on the side of the road you know, there's types of people out there that can be like, I can come and get that running for you in like three seconds. And then there's people who are like, all right, I need to call the mechanic and do all this. And that's like totally burdensome to them. But oh, yeah, no, there's, there's, there's capable, 
capable people. I run into this all the time, and um, I, you know, I'm an electrician, so I work with construction people a lot. And you get that with construction people all the time. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, because sometimes their their hyper confidence uh, gets you in trouble. Because sometimes they do know what they're talking about, and they they can do whatever they say they can do, and oh, I can get that fixed, or oh, we can just do this, and they step right up and just start doing it without another word. Sometimes they don't know what they're doing, though, and then they step up and start doing it without another word, and you have to stop them or they're going to break something. So what happens – and this is a pretty short story, so we're, we're like already more than halfway through it. So what happens is this guy shows up and he, 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 he says like weird stuff. He keeps on saying like, oh, buy Cersei. Like, like you know, kind of like my goodness. And he says like, buy Cersei. Um, so he starts mowing the lawn. Uh, Harold takes a nap and then he – well, actually, he wakes up. He sees that the lawnmower – is moving on its own almost as if like under some some mystical force is pushing it and behind it completely naked is the lawnmower man on all fours following it and he's eating the grass clippings that are being you know uh thrown by the spewed out yeah yeah spewed out behind the lawnmower and harold sees this and it's just like he can't believe his eyes it's like i cannot uh, what am I looking at here? And I I love oh, that part as, of the story. As, as the reader, I felt just like him. And I'll tell you what the 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 feeling that I got is the feeling that R. L. Stein wishes he could have in his Goosebumps books. Like this feels like when I was reading this, I, it felt like reading an adult Goosebumps novel. Um, it's bizarre, and the like the vivid description of like first he wakes up to the sound of the lawnmower and he like it's like a sound he's never heard and he's like tearing through the house trying to find where it is he runs to the front and it's it the sounds out in the back so he runs through the house to the back and he sees the lawnmower on its own and it's just mowing and uh you see the guy behind it crawling eating up the grass and when every time the lawnmower gets to the end of the yard and turns uh, the lawnmower man does like this weird like skipping jump to like turn around behind it and, and uh, again begin crawling across the yard eating up all of the the lawn clippings yeah and, and it, it's just it, and, and it even draws it draws attention to his clothes that are nicely folded on the side they're on they're the in the porch they're, they're they're actually they're resting in the bird feeder that's where it is yeah they're but they're nicely the folded bath. and they're like yeah and they're like set aside and uh and if it, it it's so weird it's such a weird story and it does it just it just gets weirder and when he when harold first sees sees it i have the passage open here it says um you know harold rushed through the house again burst onto the back porch and stood frozen it was obscene it was a travesty it's it's it is really a shocking scene and stephen king does a really good job of writing it that way and what what ends up happening is uh, as well is that uh the the um doesn't the lawnmower like run over a gopher and the lawnmower the guts like Oh no, it it swerves to hit it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And the, the yeah. lawnmower man eats the guts as well. Yep. And then he sees Harold watching or I think Harold passes out. And then when he wakes up the lawnmower man is there. And- Her- Harold Harold passes out and I think the scene is another goose goosebumps kind of like scene is he passes out and he has a weird dream. Every every time he naps in this story he has weird dreams. Um, and I thought, I thought for sure that the story was going to take the turn where like you, you don't know what's a dream and what's real. And it, it kind of does during this, um, he, he has the dream and he wakes up from it 
and he thinks oh thank god that that was all just a dream thank god that the 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 lawnmower man's not naked in my backyard eating all my lawn clippings and he's his wife has woken him up and uh it draws attention to her buck teeth mm-hmm. and he's like wait that's not my wife's buck teeth sure my wife has buck teeth but these are like the like a rodent's buck teeth and, and they're hairy green. that oh no that's not hair that's grass it's green grass sticking out of the gums of the teeth and i'm like oh man that just sounds like a, a like the cover art for a goosebumps book yeah it really does and it, it's the i could totally see that but it's it's a lot it's the lawnmower man and he's like oh hey y'all are you okay that was crazy oh my god you you know you passed out and harold's sort of disoriented and you know he says something to the lawnmower man like um yeah you know god bless uh god bless the grass um and the lawnmower man's like, yeah, God bless the grass. You're you're okay, man. Like maybe you should actually come work with us. And he looks down and he says, "Oh, that- my boss, my boss is always. I'm so glad that you understand because some people they just don't get it. But you know, the boss has got this uh, plan and it's working great. And you know, we're always looking for help. The boss, you know, he if, if you seem like you do a, you do great at this. And he looks down and he sees that the lawnmower man actually has cloven feet. And he asked, yep. he's like the you know the boss like who's the boss and the guy's like Pan yeah Pan's the man Pan's the boss and you know Pan in reference to the um, is the Greek Greek god Greek Pan god. who was like a like a satyr so he had right. you know a lower lower half of a goat and upper half of a man um, with there's a lot of connections. There's a lot of connections throughout literature uh, connecting Pan to, like, a satanic figure. Same thing with, like, the connection to, like, a goat man. Uh, Pan was generally a trickster, a party, a partier. And there's there's also, you know, Stephen King is a, a reader of weird fiction. He's talked about how, you know, reading H.P. Lovecraft, discovering H.P. Lovecraft at a young age really, you know, was in, uh, influential for him and without a doubt he must have read arthur Mackin, who was a uh precursor to lovecraft but wrote weird fiction uh had he had a sort of a novella called the great god pan and in that do one, not do not do not do not ruin this for me connor i'm currently reading it okay well then i won't say anything else but just to say that pan has been a figure in horror and has had sort of like you know this sort of uh, mystical demonic or not demonic but like you know a sinister otherworldly yeah, an otherworldly sinister quality to them. Yeah. Um and uh that's who's pulling the strings in this story. That's who the the boss is. Pan's the man. Um I want to get that on a t-shirt, Pan's the man. And if anyone done. if anyone like recognizes it, that's a kind of like a cool like, hey, I know what that's from and it's like you're all right then. That's <laughs> Connor, Connor, you're you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. That's gonna be our first dad lit shirt. <laughs> well, that the, all right. We gotta. Dis- I want to do. We should do pans the man, and then have like buck teeth with green fuzz on them. That might be the look. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, so w- w- this the, the, at this point the um uh the lawnmower man's like, yeah, you're cool. You're all right, dude. Like, yeah, pans the man, and he goes back to the lawn, or he disappears for a second, and then Harold tries to call the cops and is like there's a fucking there's a guy uh indecent exposure there's a man mowing my lawn and he's nude please come here and you know help and uh then the uh front door crashes open 
and the front door crashes open and in comes the lawnmower right in right. into the house with the lawnmower man walking behind still it. naked yep and still not pushing it it's just driving itself and he's just accompanying and it. he's not happy that he that uh, harold called the cops and he's like no, oh, that was man, a mistake you shouldn't have done that yeah. that was a mistake you should have stuck with you should have stuck with god bless the grass yeah that was that worked you know and it the, the lawnmower chases him through the house. And like you said earlier, the lawnmower is this like beast. It's like it has like a, you know, a 12 cylinder cylinder diesel engine type thing. It's this oh, like and there's like know, a there's like a, di- a dented front on it that makes it look like it has like an evil grin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is Stephen King. He loves making evil devices and evil like machinery. Right. Yeah. You can see that in the Mangler. You can see that in trucks. You see it here. Christine. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of felt like that when reading this. I'm like, oh, it's like the 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 lawnmower version of Christine. I have to say one one story that I, I'm definitely going to read it this see this Halloween Halloween season is the Mangler. That is so good. It's really gross. Never too. read it. All right. Well, maybe. Uh, well, if you want to read it, you know we can talk about it. But um, so what? So what ends up happening is the lawnmower chases him through the house. He gets out of the house into the backyard. He thinks he's almost made it, but at the last second, the lawnmower just like shoots off of his back porch and kind of goes through the air. And the last thing Harold sees is basically the grinning face and teeth of the lawnmower as it eats him up. Um, and Harold Parkett is no more. Um, he went the way of the uh, the uh, groundhog in his in his lawn. Um, yep. And the story doesn't end there. Cut though. to. <laughs> yep. What do you want? You want to describe what the last part of the story is? Yeah. So the police do follow up, and they do show up, and they're addressing the crime scene and walking through the house. And they're talking about, like, what happened in the body. And they're like, oh, this is definitely some sort of sex thing. Um, (laughs) And uh, they talk about, like, oh, well, where's the rest of him? And they're like, oh, out in the bird feeder. Yeah, the bird bird bath. Yeah, Bird bath. Yeah, out in the bird bath. And they go out to the bird bath and the other cop, like, almost loses his stomach. Or I think he does throw up. Um, But I felt like... uh, they say a bunch of like witticisms too i don't remember what they are yeah, it's like some gallows humor um, like cop humor you know yeah and i was like i said that's now you've got uh like cop like cops looking down on the uh, white collar people yeah like he's a square like oh just another you know yeah it, the, the the last the last line the, the the characters they refer to the the names you'll hear here are the different cops goodwin strolled around the house and coolly followed him Behind them, the scent of newly mown grass hung pleasantly in the air. So it kind of ends in this very nice sort of domestic yep. suburban scene. And uh, I don't know. I just love that story. It's just such a, a good – like it doesn't really – I'll tell you it was not It was not anything that I was expecting it to be. Um, it, like I said, I, like I said, I, I, I feel like – I feel like – either this story is what inspired rl stein to write goosebumps or this story is what inspired him to stop <laughs> like this this nails that vibe but for an adult audience yeah it it it, it has it, i i see what you mean there it does have like a it's like a small not just a small town but it's it's his home you know it's just like a kind of home base yeah it's a it's a it's a quaint setting a quaint uh set of characters 
um, and just bizarre circumstances. It's such a weird story. Well, I'm, I'm, I, do you, would you say you liked it? Oh yeah, I loved it. It's, it's, it's a perfect f- spoopy story for like October. Does it doesn't exactly score? I wouldn't score it really high as like dad lit by by our dad lit standards, but it's a good story about like you know um, suburban life and kind of the petty politics of. Uh, suburban life as viewed through like the kind of white collar lens of this this kind of square guy um whose whose world is you know uh very normal until this very strange thing enters it not even one pair of white sneakers in it we're gonna say i'll I'll give it four out of five white collars all right that's a good i'll give it the same (laughs) (laughs) um anything else to say about the lawnmower man before we move to the next story um just what's the movie about if it, okay i i <laughs> the movie is about um this like i, I saw it years ago I, all i remember it's like a computer engineer who builds this virtual reality and he he has um a neighbor who's intellectually disabled and he mows his neighbor mows lawns and he gets his neighbor to like use the virtual reality and his neighbor kind of gets becomes kind of like a god within the the VR like or kind of like very tyrannical. I I don't remember many of the details. It, it, I remember being kind of regarded as like a a very bad movie, but I kind of want to rewatch it now. The only thing I remember from it is the bad CG of like a dude's mouth having the lawnmower like the spinning like push like the old style push lawnmower. Mhm. Where it's like a, a cylinder of blades that spins as it rolls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What a... All right. I, I might have to watch it too. Just out of curiosity. I might... Uh, yeah, I might give it a rewatch. But the next one we're re- we're going to talk about um, is much darker and it's called Kane Rose Up. Yeah. This is a lot more... Um, this is a lot more dadlit in an unfortunate way. Um, and it also, uh, what also was not what I was expecting <laughs> out of Stephen King or this story. Um, so I, I, yeah, go ahead, I, go ahead. I have, um, some more notes about this because it's, I think it kind of has some, a little bit more social relevance. So Kane Rose Especially up, right now. Of, oh gosh, yeah. Um, more and more every day. So it originally appeared in the short story collection Skeleton Crew and, which was public. Well, I'm sorry. It appears in Skeleton Crew. The short story collection, which was published in 1985, but it was originally published in the spring 1968 edition of Ubris, which is um, a literary, literary magazine put out by the University of Maine. King was a student there from 66 to 70, so he published it while he was a, a student there. In short, it is the story of a mass shooting on a college campus. Yeah, if you tried to if you tried to publish that nowadays, they would definitely let you be investigated. You it wouldn't get published nowadays. I don't think. Um, no, it wouldn't. So on August first, nineteen sixty six, the there was the University of Texas shooting by Charles Whitman. So in Austin, Whitman, he was a Marine veteran and a student. Um, he he murdered his mother and his wife. Then he went to the UT Austin campus and shot and killed fourteen pe- people and injured thirty one others. All in the course of ninety six minutes. He he did this all up in this clo- uh, well. He did a lot of it up in a clock tower. And it's safe to say that this was an influence on King. I think it affected everyone who was alive at that point. You know, how could how could it not? At the time, it was the biggest mass shooting in American history. Um, so Kane rose up 
is told from the third person, but it focuses on the thoughts and experiences of the shooter. So it's third person, but you have this first person level of intimacy. And I think that's something that Stephen King is very good at. He can seamlessly move the narrative into and out of different characters' heads while still having, um, you know, a, an omniscient third person voice. Um, the first few pages of The Shining are a good example of this. The first few pages of The Shining are the, the character Jack Torrance in a job interview. And the job interview is going on and you're kind of hearing what Jack Torrance is thinking. Um, yep. This story has always stood out to me because it's, for one, it's one of his much shorter short stories. Uh, his short stories are not always very long, but this one's very short. It's like six pages. And it's not narratively complex. It doesn't jump around in time too much. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, not a whole lot happens. I was I was flabbergasted with how short this was. Like I'm no I'm I'm no stranger to short fiction. I wrote a lot of very short stories in college in, in fiction class. Uh, I just wasn't expecting it from this. Yeah, it, it it's it doesn't have any paranormal elements. And, you know, the first time I read this, um, I thought it was Stephen King just kind of trying to be shocking, you know, to like paint a shocking picture. Some of his stories are like this. They have fairly limited thematic elements and seem to rely more on shock and surprise. Do you think it would shock and surprise more back then or right now? I think it would shock and surprise more back then. I, I don't think it would get published now. No, it wouldn't get published now, but it's more relevant than ever now, and I think would make I think it would trigger some people and make some people uncomfortable now. Yeah. And I think back then it would be unheard of. Yeah, I mean, it does have this. Um, God, who's this author? I'm thinking of. Um, I, I there's always this short story author. I always forget his name. Uh, um, Raymond Carver has this sort of like almost like Raven Carver quality to it that it's it's just kind of like it's just things happening, you know? Uh, um, yeah, it really is just things happening, but it helps set the – I don't even know. Like what would you say of these characters? So for the audience, um, this just follows a student on his way into his dorm talking to different students. They, they've just caught a beaver, right? No, no, no. There's a character named Beaver – Who's like oh, okay, his okay. who's ro- his roommate? Who's already? It's the end of the semester, so everyone is kind of finishing the semester, up there. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, some of the some of the students have already left. You've got several students that come by the dorm asking if they can like take the effects left behind by their their like their roommate. Like he left a bunch of posters and like a statue around, and the the main character, the protagonist, has uh gone into his dorm and he keeps telling everyone he's going to take a shower just to get everyone to leave. And um, he's taken – he's gone under his bed and taken out this, this gun right. and starts to assemble it. And he keeps getting interrupted by people. Um, and he, the things he's interrupted by are just rather dumb. You know, it's like all these kind of yep. silly, dumb things. Um, well, and he, he, he has this internal monologue going and he's talking to a statue of the thinker that he breaks and he's talking to a Humphrey Bogart poster. Yeah. Um, and what ends up happening is that, you know, he, he locks the door behind him. He takes up a position in the window and he starts shooting people. Um, one thing going back to, I thought that actually what, one thing I kind of enjoyed about this is that he does, Stephen King does a really good job at at, at developing this sort of like 
liminal space of college campuses at the end of the semester. Like people have just finished their 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 final exams. A lot of people have already left, and it's this feeling of change. Um, he he, the main character, whose name is uh, Garish. That's his last name. I'm guessing. Uh, is you know reflects like that this friend of his did all of his final exams in two days and got to leave like you know at the beginning of the week but now it's just like kind of the stragglers and he talks to this one kid who thinks he failed and um it, it's just a very you know i remember that experience in college like at the beginning of the semester and the end of the semester moving in and moving out it's just very kind of weird it it, it almost you know these liminal spaces and these sort of these these liminal times um, a good example might be like during hurricanes, like before and after hurricanes, you know, you're just on the verge of change. You're on the verge you know, of something and that's else the, and happening. That's, that's that's the weird thing is like this is something that you and I have experienced and I don't know if a lot of the reader or listeners, readers, uh, a lot of the listeners have. Uh, certainly if they've been in Florida or um, the Lower East Coast, but um, for those of you that haven't um, – it becomes like commonplace. You get used used to it. You it's a um a routine of preparing for it, and then like the aftermath. Uh, if if nothing super eventful happens, so if it's if it's just a normal hurricane, there's some flooding, there's some power outages, there's some downed tree limbs to pick up, um maybe some minor damage from like debris blowing around on your your to your car or whatever. But like, um it does have that same kind of vibe of like you're preparing for it and you're just getting settled in and then you're like cleaning up and departing and it does have that sense of change you're right yeah and i i thought that was just a, a really well done part of it and at the so um so he he starts shooting um this other student that he's been talking to tries to like open the door and then starts screaming like i think he's killing himself like he's trying to get the the um resident advisor to come yeah he's open calling the door. he's calling for help uh, me- meanwhile there's an interesting just little brief descriptions of the people that he's shooting at yeah that, once again paint effortlessly paint a picture of the people that are around on the campus and you kind of like i i, I know when i was reading it like he's looking at them through the scope and kind of in in my mind i was like yeah i'm seeing this through his scope right now um and he kind of he you know the kid screaming like i think he's killing himself he's killing himself and uh, he ends up, you know, he's thinks like good, good was like good food, good meat, good God, let's eat is sort of how is is what he that's says. That's what he kept, kept. That's what he would say every time he shoots. Good drink, it, good meat, because, good God, let's eat. Yeah, yeah, and he's saying it because of a story that he talked to the poster about about Cain and Abel. Um, and that's and that's and that's where the title comes from. Yeah. So the title is obviously a reference to the biblical story of Cain and Abel, who were the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Um, both brothers made sacrifices to God, but God favored Abel's sacrifice, and as a result of that, Cain murdered his brother Abel. And, and whether you know whether it's out of jealousy, anger, or greed, or all of those things, or one of those things, it really depends on your interpretation. It, um, but because of that, uh, Cain is condemned to a life of wandering. So specifically, the title, um, Cain Rose Up, refers to Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what that verse is. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So uh, nowadays, raising Cain uh, is often used to mean to like, it it means someone's causing trouble or causing a ruckus. And And I don't, do you think that this story 
do you think this works without the knowledge of that story? I think it works because, better because I don't, with the I don't, I don't, I think it does too. And I don't think King does an adequate job describing it within his prose. Well, I think that, it, that it, yeah. yeah, well, I think it's subtle because I think that, like I said, when I first, it's, it's, I think, I think it's too subtle. I, I think he almost would have done better having the main character describe the story of Cain and Abel further. I think it's um, pretty, I think it's a pretty like well kind of understood thing that people understand like what, you know, Cain and Abel is, but I do, I, I think that it, it, because it's such a short story, it's very easy to kind of blow through it and not give it a lot of thought. But like I said, the more I've read it, it, I think it is an examination on the subject of evil and rage and specifically discontent, specifically with America's college career pipeline and the myth of meritocracy and, and of like, and you, you, yeah, absolutely. And you, you also nailed it when you described the reasons why uh, Cain does it in the Bible of like jealousy and discontent over his brother having it better or and you're you're going through you're going through the story hearing about how his fellow students have done or how or haven't whatever um and it, they don't that he doesn't voice any sort of discontent but you kind of get that he's just kind of blowing everyone off and just being like yeah uh-huh well i think that what's it's supposed to be is that he's it's supposed to this this state of the college campus and that he's just finished his exams he should be happy about it you know but he it yep. is it is it is described as almost this wasteland that he's moving through and you yep. see his perspective you know he's this young college aged man and it's just filled with longing and disappointment and dissatisfaction and there's all this sort of like bleak and you know uh, vapid imagery such as these like porno mags and like yeah cum stains on a mattress and it's just this sort of like this this environment of like dissatisfaction i want to talk a little bit more so i want to like kind of uh, unpack the biblical thing a little bit more um so cain has traditionally been associated with the beginning of evil you can kind of look at it as a biblical origin story um in in christianity and uh, as an origin story it's it's simultaneously disappointing because it doesn't offer any like very like firm origin you know, like I said, it's jealousy, anger, greed. Maybe it's all of those things. But really, it's just the first instance of of like violence amongst humans in in the Bible. And there's there's no singular clear motivation. It just happens. It's not like the devil lands on, lands on Cain's shoulder and tells him to do it. But it's deeply interesting, I think, because when people commit acts of evil or violence, it's not usually just one thing motivating them. It's a mystery. Uh, maybe even to them, it's a mystery. I mean, there's there's whole fields of study based around understanding these kinds of things. Trying to trying to understand trying to understand the mind of a criminal, and think ahead of it. Yeah, and, and, and there's I think there's a tendency to try and pin it on one thing. And like I said, like with Columbine, everyone wanted to pin it on bullying. It was a very linear relationship. Those boys were bullied. This is retribution against the bullying. It's causal. It's it. There's a, a almost a comfort in the sense that you can understand it. But that really wasn't what happened. It, it was a it was a component. No, it's much of it. more complex. It was much more complex. Yeah, it's much more complex. But as you learn more, the, you know about acts of violence. There's usually. Uh, a lot of factors at play um and and it, getting back to Kane, you know Kane's motivations it seems anger jealousy greed but like again it, you could have you can unpack it a lot more because it's like 
well, why are you jealous? What do you want? You know, what, what, what is it? Where do your desires for these things come from? And why does this, 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 this event of God favoring Abel in this instance so devastating to you? Um, but I, I wanted to talk about something and I'm kind of probably going off on a bit of a, of a tangent here, but I guess I, I want to do kind of like a Buddhist reading of this story. Um, not because I think this story is about Buddhism per se. But because there are certain Buddhist ideas that might illuminate some of the more subtle aspects of this story, which we've kind of already discussed. But um, there's this thing in Buddhism, um, the Four Noble Truths. And the, okay. the Four Noble Truths are kind of like the four big ideas that kind of that inform Buddhism. The big one that, that most people are familiar with is that is that wanting, desiring – or craving is the source of all suffering that wanting something um is what causes you know dissatisfaction in life um i think people really latch on to that idea because it, there's a, a very like base level truth to it regardless of your religion or political beliefs it seems like a general truth but the four noble truths just to go through them the first one is that suffering exists and it's an unavoidable aspect of existence two Desire and ignorance are at the root of suffering. Craving pleasure, material goods, and immortality causes suffering. Ignorance involves seeing the world not as it actually is. If you're ignorant, then you cannot grasp the true nature of things. Greed, envy, hatred, and anger derive from ignorance. Three, suffering can be ended through achieving nirvana. You can transcend worldly suffering. And four is the way to do this is the Noble Eightfold Path, which is like, here's how you do all those things. But the basic idea is that wanting is is the essence, is, is the source of suffering. And I think this story, like I was saying, like this wasteland he's in, in these sort of like desires, some of them are sexual desires. Well, and it's like you were talking about the, the porno mags, the cum stains. Um, the way the other college students are addressing some of that kind of stuff, like the one guy's coming in to take the posters, and he's he's taking the girl posters, and then he talks about like, oh, I kind of like that the Bogart one too. No breasts, but you know, yeah. And, and you never, you never, you never get the feeling that any of those things are happening to the protagonist. Like the cum stains are not his cum stains. Like he's he's not getting laid. He's he, those aren't the things that belong to him. Those aren't his belongings. They're someone else's belongings. Um, and also, the, the, he's described as being a really good student. That they're like, oh, you probably aced all your yep. finals. You're a straight A guy. Yet he has this feeling of like unfulfillment, and you know he yep. doesn't look at college as this like preparation for like God. I can't wait to you know what this is great. I'm going to learn. I'm going to become an engineer. He he seems like a very lost person, and I think people. And I'm going to, you know, talk a little uh, socially, politically, but particularly young white men, because they're they're often <laughs> shooters, not always, but mass killers. Is there, there's this inexplainable desire for something, for for meaning. There's a this sense in I, I I'm guessing, you know, I'm not a criminologist, but like we talked about how people don't always understand why they do things, you know, but in this character, there's a sense of something not being fulfilled. And I don't even think the character Garish really knows what he wants, but he knows that there's an emptiness 
and he can't really find out like why it's there or what needs to be put in there to fill it. And I think it's like a two, it's, it's a double, it's, well, it's, I'll just say it's like a two pronged emptiness or, 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 um, suffering. The one is the emptiness and two is like not even understanding what needs to fill the emptiness. And it's a lack of identity. It's a lack of purpose. And it just leads to this immense frustration of having no purpose. Um, and I think this kind of leads to a sense of meaning, meaninglessness and isolation. And I, I, and I, that's definitely something affecting a lot of people now. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, uh, digging deeper into it, you know, if, if there was academic writing on this, I could see it talk, talk about capitalism, you know? Well, I was gonna say that, well, capitalism and just the expectations that are hefted upon us, uh-huh. um, when, when we're in school about the things that you're supposed to accomplish, the things that you're, uh, that, that you're going to do to make people proud, to make yourself, uh, employable, uh, to make money, to survive in the world, like all of these, these concerns and stresses that are, that are hefted upon us, um, before we even really understand adulthood and life and what we want. Right. We're, we're, we're put in this environment where we sh- we're, we're supposed to be setting ourselves up for the rest of our life. But it just it doesn't feel that way, you know, and and that's not what people usually want to do at that age. And I thought it was interesting at the end that his his peer, the other kid who lives in the dorm, thinks that he's killing himself because he's probably yeah. more like in his in his mind, it's more likely that this guy would be killing himself. You know, um, he he kind of understands, I think, that impulse, you know, that that there's this um feeling of just being uh completely directionless uh, or directionlessness without direction i'm trying to say but i you know the all of these things i'm saying are, uh, are kind of, the word the word the word that connor is looking for is aimless aimless okay cool that sounds a lot better but you know again this is like a six-page story and i've read it probably like five or six times now and well, and you you said it earlier that like it goes by so quick, and it, you're absolutely right. I I literally reread it like uh it, it was over, and I kind of like went by kind of fast, and I was like, holy shit! And I went back and reread it to like make sure I didn't miss something. Yeah, and that's why I kind of I, I mentioned uh, Raymond Carver because it's like I think it is kind of it, it is mundane seeming, but it's kind of it's filled with meaning. Um, and, and kind of symbols and, uh, it, it, it's a, it does seem like a kind of just like a, a snapshot of something, but there's actually quite a bit there. Um, but yeah, I, that's why I brought up this. Cause I think it's a nice juxtaposition to the lawnmower man, which is kind of a fun pulp, not fun actually, but it's kind of pulpy and it's like, you know, it's, it's got weird shit in it. Yeah. They are very different stories, but I think it shows that Stephen King actually has a really keen in you know uh, insight into human behavior and also the subject of evil like a very a very um a human idea of what is evil not as a not as a force you know uh that 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 you know uh, works through demons and monsters but rather it's that a lot of acts of violence are yeah they're they're done it's a, it's it's about it's about desires and uh longing and like you said earlier um greed anger and um jealousy what was jealousy? desire yeah. it's it's desire and, and and sometimes those desires aren't even clear to the people who who have them you know 
Right. And I think uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to talk about this later when we I, I want to bring up movies with you. But um, Christine is one of his books mm-hmm. that uh, I love the movie and it's all about desire. It's it's what corrupts the main character. Um, and that's another character that doesn't really know what he wants, but he wants more. He wants to be more. He wants more attention. He wants more. Uh, he wants a better car. He wants a better life. Um, and that desire absolutely corrupts him. And that's kind of in the core of a lot of Stephen King stories. I, I this might be a stretch, but I, I reading it and I, I you know the the the. The Four Noble Truths thing, I just thought that that was a good way to um, talk about the idea. That, no, that was the a want, great, wanting that was a is, great depth that I, that I wasn't expecting, and I love that. But the idea that, that when he's – this could be a stretch, but when he's like, you know, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Like I, I, I thought about like hunger and hunger as desire and sort of like in killing these people, he's somehow filling the emptiness in his life, but – He's really not. He's oh, just kind sure. of doing it, it something, was... you know. It's just like, it is just. It, it, it's a weird, you know. It's 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 kind of sad and just completely disturbing. Is that like, you know, without when you're aimless and you have no you have no kind of goals and everything. Like, well, there's one way to make yourself, you know, uh, stand out, and it's by being violent. And like that's, I, I thought there was kind of a connection. I guess there. I think I yeah yeah I I do I do agree with you that there's the connection to feeding. Yeah, feeding. He's he's yeah. satiating himself and he's consuming and, um, well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about this story about? Because I I feel like maybe we could shift to something that's a a little less gloomy. <laughs> no, I think that wraps up King. Oh, actually, um, actually, sorry, I did want to say something. Um, okay. So Stephen King, go ahead and say something. All right. It's a podcast. <laughs> um, so Stephen King under the pseudonym Richard Bachman. He's published a, a few things under uh, Bachman, uh, the name Bachman. He wrote this uh, book called Rage, and Rage is actually about a school shooting, and um, it 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 was, um, it has been uh, claimed or alleged that it was uh, of interest to certain school shooters throughout you know American history in, in the in the two uh, you know nineties and or. I don't know, but maybe the eight, I don't know the dates. Sorry, I don't fucking do it. Um, anyways, uh, it's been found in the lockers of school shooters, is what I'm trying to say. Um, the impact on it. I never heard that. You know, it's like, well, you know, chicken or egg. You know, like I don't think they got the idea from Stephen King at all, but maybe they, you know, wanted to read about it, and this is one of the, one but of that the might few have, but, books but, that are about that subject. You know, they might have spurred them on though. Like it might've encouraged them. Like if they're considering that course of action and then they went and got that book and read it, like it didn't, it didn't give them the idea, but it might've, um, um, solidified their plans or something. I don't know. I I don't think that Stephen King bears any responsibility for those things, but no, 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 no. I'm not putting, I'm not putting responsibility on him, but it is, it is, it is like a a kind of research, I guess. No, I think, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's, yeah i mean they probably they probably did i mean you they probably did read that and fantasize and you know and and empathize with the character and thought it was cool or you know i'm sure it did have i I think it's i think it's more it's confirm it's confirmation for sure it's it's hey hey this guy's like me it's like i'm not the only person that's like this 
But um, if you uh, – so Stephen King, after you know uh, a lot of school shootings, he, he eventually um, took the book out of circulation. It's no longer published. But, I mean, I've read it before. I, mean, I think that's I think that's the right decision to make, especially yeah. in modern age. Yeah, it, it's it's an I, I've read it. Um, it's in it's collected in the Bachman books, which is like a collection of his, you know, the books he published under the name Richard Bachman. Um, if you f- can find like a, a a standalone like you know print like novel version of it, I think they're actually worth quite a bit now. Um, and also, I, I think when I first read it, I read it online, like like a like a kind of. Pi- oh, I'm sure it's available online. Like a pirated version. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. The Bachman books. Yeah. He writes these books that um that are much like I won't say his. You know, he's a horror writer, so it's, most of it's pretty dark. But the Bachman books have a kind of like sinister darkness to them. They're all like there. There's like a cruelty to the Bachman books. Um, Interesting. But the best Bachman book, and I think it's one of Stephen King's best books, is The Long Walk. Have you ever read that? Uh, I have not. So. My my experiences with King are kind of new. Um, I had not read King for many years. I just my I began my interactions with his books uh, like three years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. As while well as it was while I was in New York, um, one of my customers at the Kava Bar um, paid me to write a college paper for him, and it just happened to be a research paper on Stephen King. That's awesome. Not on him himself, but like. Um, yeah, you had to read a short story, um, Salem's Lot, and watch the movie and do a compare contrast. And then the same student um hit me up later in the semester. It's like, hey, can you write my final? Because uh, it's on the same kind of subject. He was basically in a fiction class about Stephen King and had no time to do the papers for it because he wanted to pass his other classes, which that's fine. And I love writing, so I, I didn't mind. How unfortunate um, that he didn't was, have time to do that because that's such a cool. Assignment. No, it was I. I had a I had a blast. Um, I told like we, when he was like, "Oh yeah, I'll pay you." In my mind, I was like, "I get to read a book, and you're going to pay me to write about yeah, it. I'll do that for free." It's kind of um, the dream, you know. <laughs> it's like that's kind of like yeah, what so, we're doing so here. For, so for his for his final, um, I had to write a twenty page paper and cite like twelve outside sources that weren't stephen king sources it was ridiculous um uh i i pulled an a out of the hat for him i really don't know how considering one of i i ran out of sources and had to um end up quoting uh an episode of an anime and citing the director of the anime under the uh quotation i'm like there's no way this professor's gonna accept this um but uh i i for that i read it and um the shining I love The Shining. And um I have thoughts on The Shining. We're not going to get into it, but uh I'm not sure uh, it's it's both similar and dissimilar to the movie and I think both are worthwhile for different reasons. Um but I also read several short stories of his, um The Jaunt and uh The House on Maple Street and uh, several others I can't remember, but that's that was the extent of my interaction with Stephen King until we read these. Well, that's like, that's, I mean, that's a good amount of material to read from an author. You know, I mean, he has a good amount of work, but like you read multiple short stories and a few books. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading his new book. Um, was it fairy, fairy tale? tale? I heard it's very good. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. 
I um I like reading his short stories. I think he's a great short story author. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you of course. I feel stupid even asking this, but I, this is more for the the sake of the audience. But have you read the raft? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's in uh, Skeleton Crew. That's a great. That's a great yeah. one. Yeah. The raft. Hey, people at home, if you want a good like uh spooky story to like, like real quick read for October, the raft. I will say, um, let me, uh, since we're doing this, you guys, <laughs> I will recommend two stories. One of them is called Home Delivery, and it's in Skeleton okay, Crew. I'll, let me write that one down. In short little elevator pitch, a lady okay. is uh, in, on a small island in Maine, and she's pregnant during the zombie apocalypse. So, Ooh, okay, yeah. okay. I definitely want to talk about zombies later. Um, what's the other one that you'd recommend? Well, you mentioned it, the jaunt. Oh, the jaunt's great. It's uh, folks at home. This doesn't ruin it. Um, the jaunt is uh, sometime in the near future. We've discovered how to teleport. They're like, we've discovered a device that'll let you teleport from one location to another. And, but you have to go under, you have to be put to sleep during the process and the the jaunt is a story of a father um discussing the history of that technology with his family before they go through the teleport yeah um it's really cool it's it's really interesting this like fictional history of teleportation that they go through um and the reasons why you have to be unconscious yeah th- that's definitely a- definitely yeah. definitely recommend it and also i mentioned the um, mangler also the, also the house on the house on maple street is really fun mm-hmm. it's a fun horror story it's like kids um in an abusive household which that doesn't sound fun but um kids in an abusive household uh are like playing games and they accidentally stumble upon the fact that there's metal growing inside their walls and they yeah. like like a couple days later they check on it and like they t- are taking like the pictures off of the walls so that they can take a drill and drill into the the drywall so they can put the picture back up so their dad doesn't know that they've done it but they they're testing how far the metal has grown and like oh it's gotten like a few feet further into the walls uh it's very bizarre it's another one that feels like a goosebumps book um i definitely recommend that one it's fun we'll be right back to the spooky dad literature after these ghastly adverts <laughs> My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What in the dick is going on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories, and I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Who was driving? I don't know. It was my first picture as a director. And you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. I don't know. I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. 
spent some time in the dark. Please don't let me in the dark. I'm gonna scare the hell out of you. And that's a promise. You're gonna get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Jesus coming in hideous. Maximum king. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Wanna go psycho with me, Elvira, here at the Bates Motel? Look for me wherever they sell mug root beer. And enter the Go Psycho with Elvira contest. You can be my guest at Universal Studios in Hollywood for a monstrous bash at the Bates Motel. Shower, anyone? This Halloween, go psycho with Elvira and win a party with Mug Root Beer and me. I love my mug. I love it. It's a night of spooky surprises. Oh, Halloween. For America's favorite bat cat. Don't bat your eyes. Garfield's Halloween adventure will have you shaking in your boots Monday. And now, back to the spooky show. Um... Okay, so what was the? Who were the other authors that we were going to discuss uh, today? So, so, so you. I don't think you can talk about horror and not bring up Edgar Allan Poe or H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, and, the um, grandfathers. Yeah, um, I considered also reading um, something by um, uh, what's his name? The guy that did the Books of Blood, Clive Barker. Yeah, I considered delving into that, but we just, I just didn't have any time. Um, he's he's another author I have not read. So well, Stephen um, King famous. So I, he he wrote the Books of Blood, which was his first publication. You know, he just put out this incredible short story collection. And Stephen King, for the blurb on the front, said, "I have seen the future of horror, and his name is Clive Barker." And Clive Barker talks no. about how he's like that was like god coming yeah, down that's a big, like that's you know a big compliment yeah and i'm sure it um, drove a lot of people to buy the book i mean it's 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 he's a great writer and his short stories are incredible but okay you want to so edgar Allan poe he has a so yeah have you have you read much edgar Allan poe uh like he does poetry and he does short stories yeah i'm a much bigger fan of his short stories than i am of his poetry but i know people that will disagree and 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 uh like his poetry a lot more i've read all of his more you know well-known stories and some of his lesser known stories there's still some out there that i've i haven't read that i want to same read. same uh yeah yeah same and i got to read a couple for for this month which is fun um uh i we we're gonna discuss one of them in a future episode um murders in the rue morgue as um, the sort of proto detective story it is it is it is a prototype for Sherlock Holmes, and it is also a a pretty horrific story, and I I love it. It is it um, is the so yeah. we'll, we'll, it's the first use of we'll the word detective, that. I believe, in, in literature to describe you know an investigator. Um, yeah, he has a lot of he has a lot of I don't want to say firsts because it's always tricky when discussing who is the right. first to write about something, but like he has one of the first stories about zombies, which is really cool. It's called the case of M. Valdemar. Um, and it's about like a guy that like reanimates a corpse, um, 
and the corpse just acts all sorts of odd and weird because it it doesn't it's like brain like been dead too long uh-huh. like uh, it's it's a it's a weird story but um it's kind of cool um but uh recently i read um so jumping around a bit we'll jump over to him soon but uh i was researching hp lovecraft shorts mainly the ones about his dream worlds um for a project that i'm working on and i read a story called the cats of ulthar Mm -hmm. and because i read the cats of ulthar i was like hey you know connor was talking about wanting to do some uh, some uh, edgar Allan poe let me just go read the black cat real quick uh well i was like let me just stay on the the issue of cats and it's really interesting reading both of those stories like back to back because the cats of ulthar is kind of like hey there's a fictional spooky town in a dream world that certain people pass through and um it's illegal to kill a cat there and here's why and they tell a story about like a, a weird I- instance where uh misunderstood people killed one of these cats and all of the cats go missing and they are just assuming that this person like killed all of them and then later the cats return the town like there's like one day there's no cats and then like a couple days later there's cats again and everyone in the town's like what where'd all these cats come from now all of a sudden and so they go investigate that like the house of the person that killed the first cat and they realized that the there's like this horrific crime scene and the cats had gotten in and killed them horrifically and left the bodies and so because of how garish it was and because of how like like the fact that these cats cooperated to do it it became like a law to you're not allowed to kill a cat there Hmm. um it was okay it was an okay story but i immediately went and read the black cat and it's interesting uh it's it's pretty good in terms of his prose i think the other story i read was much much better but uh everything he writes is so beautifully written like he could write about anything and you'll read it um his prose is fantastic um so uh edgar Allan Poe's the black cat is about like a guy who he claims he loves his cat, but he definitely abuses the shit out of it for seemingly no reason. And then um, is uh, it dies and he's befallen by some bad luck. And then uh, later in his like life, he comes upon a cat somewhere that like reminds him of the other cat. And he's like, I, it, he, he almost seems like it is the other cat, but it has like differences so he like adopt like follows him his home and he's like oh cool well i don't even have to like really pick it up or adopt it like it just came with me um oh my wife loves it too this is great um i feel like it the white patch on its stomach has been moving though and is taking a different shape i know i'm sound crazy but it's starting to look more like the other cat um also it's giving my wife all of the attention and like not me it feels like it like sp- it's spiting me and so uh this time, though, he loses his cool and kills his wife. <laughs> and he hides it. He hides the body and he thinks he's so clever. And this is one of the weird things about Edgar Allan Poe is I think he has something. Uh, he has a thing for um, pride in his stories and he has a thing for bricking bodies up in floors and walls. Yeah, I mean. Uh, There's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of his stories like the. Cask uh, of Amontillado. Cask of Amontillado um telltale heart um 
like several several of his stories are about like people in walls or yeah. people in floors and so in Pre- this story premature he, burial he puts, is another one i think yeah he he well some of its people being buried alive but this was a dead body he puts it in the the wall he he uh, repairs the wall to this like ridiculous degree where he's super proud of his work and uh the, the uh after a while the um, authorities come and they want to search his house for the investigation and he helps them search and um they walk right past it multiple times <laughs> and he's taking enormous pride in it and as they're leaving he's like haha i i got it and he for some reason in his moment of pride is like this house is very strongly built it's a very well built house this house and like taps the exact bit of wall where the body is and there's this horrible screaming sound that comes out of the wall and the police come back and rip open the like break open the wall and the body comes out but so too does the yeah. cat <laughs> and he 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 accidentally bricked the cat up in the wall with the body so when he beat on the wall it spooked the mm-hmm. cat and the cat like scree- screamed out such a a weird story um, it's it's really uh i read that in college i remember i had to read that in fall of the house of usher um it's been a while since how, I read how that. is that one that one i have not read fall of the house of I usher mean, is that worthwhile i think i think all of his stuff's worthwhile um but yeah the black cat i think is one of is one of his uh it's exciting and kind of graphic uh a story um he 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 likes playing with psychological effect it seems you know like he likes having a a a kind of peak at the ending where um and he said you know the the sort of the poe way of constructing a short story is that you kind of reverse engineer it and everything should be built up to a psychological effect and you know at the end it's this like Oh, what the, what's that screaming? And I had it, I had I had walled the cat up with the body, and it's like, oh my yep. god! It's definitely this thing of like someone sitting around a campfire, and as you're as they're telling the story, you're getting like you're leaning in closer and closer and closer to them, and at the end, they and there's that reveal. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Well, one of the, uh, one of the uh, stories he does that in, I remember, it's called the Sphinx, and I oh, kind of heard that one. Yeah, I was looking through a book of Poe stories recently, and the big reveal, like, this guy is sitting, he goes and visits his friend, like, out who lives out in his cabin, you know, in the country, and he's looking out the window, and he sees, like, this monster climbing down from the mountains surrounding them, and he's like, oh my god, like, what is that? And it disappears for a second, like, behind the trees, and then it comes out again. And he keeps seeing this thing, like he sees it twice, and then at the end, he, his his friends like, yeah, there's a there's a fucking spider on the window. <laughs> you're looking like your your perception is like messed up here. Like you're you're placing. Are you are you kidding me? <laughs> so that's an example. I think I read the end of it. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's kind of like a. a like oh okay that's one of those stories you tell around the campfire and everyone slaps you and walks away from the campfire the black cat is not like that it's it's much more no, like the black cat's cool yeah the payoff is amazing um i will say um the other story i read is much prettier and much more psychological in a sense of madness pit and the pendulum um the other story i read yeah the pit and the pendulum yeah um 
I, I should say I didn't read it. Uh, I found a, a wonderful um, audio recording of a, a woman reading it with some nice, like, spooky classical music in the background. Um, maybe I'll post a link to it. It's on Spotify. Um, fantastic. A fantastic read of a fantastic story, though. Um, it's very poetic. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I don't I don't know. I don't I really really want to say much more about it. I think people should just read it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though. It's a, it's a it's about a guy waking up in a a strange environment and like vividly describing his experience of moving through this environment. He's in a, basically in a torture chamber, a very uniquely designed torture chamber. But uh on the note of HP Lovecraft, um I think he's overrated. I go through Led Zeppelin phases where I'm like really into Led Zeppelin for like a month out of the year. And I, I do the same thing with Lovecraft where I'll read a ton of his stuff and then I'll just kind of be like, okay, you know, I'm done with it. I think his writing is overrated. I think his writing is overrated. I think his ideas and the like genre that he inspired is great. But like I've been reading all of his Dreamland cycle and it's it's – they're not complete stories. It's just a lot of uh, free-flowing, like, a stream of consciousness thought. Um, it is interesting that a lot of the cosmic horror element of these stories are not horror in the traditional sense of, like, something that's threatening you or some sort of monster. It's much more, I woke up in a land that was wondrous to my eyes that I cannot begin to describe. And then I woke up at, and then I woke up at home and I'll never get back to that wondrous place. And that's the horror. He is um, influenced by, you know, writers before him and uh, Lord, Lord Dunsany, I think is kind of the, who? Uh, Lord Dunsany. Um, he's okay. He, he wrote, um, uh, he kind of, he's kind of considered like a precursor to, to, to weird fiction kind of wrote more of the blending a sort of like a fairy tale you know type quality oh then i definitely have to look it up because i love that kind of stuff that's the same kind of thing with um uh great god pan like it's just like a mythology element to it that isn't common in a lot of cosmic horror but i've said this before and I'll, i'll i'll bring it up with this too um before airplanes were invented a majority of paranormal experiences are explained via fairies. Like, oh, there's lights in the sky, it's fairy lights. Oh, there's a weird abduction, the fairies took you. The moment mankind could perceive flight and perceive that flight was possible, our imaginations ran in the direction of the sky and space rather than the forest. And so all of the fears became about uh, uh, aliens and on UFOs and abductions. And I think that's the deviation between old weird fiction and old cosmic horror being about like weird fairy folk and uh, unknown experiences and psychedelic experiences via magic and like mythology and the transition into cosmic horror being literally cosmic. And being like another world or something from outer space or some sort of monster. A few things. One, I think that uh, H.P. Lovecraft is 
popular nowadays, not so much for his prose, but because of all these sort of th- these elements of his his mythology that have been taken and memeified. So I I, I don't right. know that he's overrated in the sense that that people everyone knows him because everyone reads him. I don't think actually that many people really read him that much anymore. I think a lot of people do, but not as much as I people. Think, that, I think know. I think more more people are aware of his mythos mm-hmm. than actually read him. And I think that the people that do enjoy him, and even the writers that are like kind of inspired by him, nowadays critics like his prose is not very celebrated. His prose is 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 like very baroque. It's okay. It's okay. He does he does have the. He does have the knack for not saying too much, like with horror, like leaving leaving stuff unsaid and letting your mind wander is pretty good in in terms of horror, like not overly describing something. Um, and he's he's good at that, but he's also not that great at describing anything else. Well, in in throughout his life, you know, beginning at a young age, H.P. Lovecraft was like obsessed with astronomy. He was an amateur astronomer. So I think that that the move to the cosmos was at least, you know, it was probably influenced by his interest in the cosmos, you know, like he um For wanted sure. to, yeah, yeah. to to talk about the I vastness just, I, of what that. I, I just I just meant um the the fears of the supernatural in general, not necessarily for him. Because, you know, he wrote most of this stuff before we we conceived of like ufos and aliens and stuff so like definitely there were astronomers before we invented the plane definitely there were astronomers long you know all the way back in ancient greece there were astronomers so um i i definitely think the horrors of space have been a thing for a long time but i i I still firmly believe that like there was this transition but from the fear of the forest and fairy folk transitioning into the fear of space and aliens for for sure that this is a kind of aside but i think you know it's like for lovecraft it was you know you're talking about the sort of the fear of the unknown uh th- that aspect of being like a, a quality of like rural life you know you you're the fear of the unknown the fear of strange people the fear of foreigners um well the, what the, i'm getting at uh, is that is that with people moving to urban centers and industrialization, you know, you had uh, you had you had populations of people, you know, being in closer proximity to each other than they might have previously been. And for Lovecraft, you know, that was something that caused a lot of fear in his life. Was you know, it, yeah, it's very xenophobic. Very xenophobic. Um, he, I think, you can look at his. This is something that's been talked to death, you know, like the his racism. Yeah, yeah. I don't, and we don't really. Yeah, we don't. We don't really need to go yeah. into it. He is a racist dude. He had a, a cat with a horrible name. Like, whatever. Um, I think that there there is something kind of interesting in his work. That's it's not. It probably comes from some like the same like racist kind of part of his brain. I mean, so to speak. But in part of his his perspective is like this. Uh, I'm thinking about this story called Beneath the Pyramids, which features Harry Houdini in it. And he kind of like it's set in Egypt and he he kind of comments on like all the tourists in Egypt and the sort of majesty of the pyramids and how it's sort of corrupted by all these tourists walking around. So in a weird way, too, I think that he he longs for this much more like magical time 
and does in addition to to his you know racist critique of like the intermingling of populations he does have this somewhat like romantic view of like oh no that yeah. definitely comes through in his dreamland cycle stuff like oh, like i said the the horror in those stories is not one of monsters it's of uh like finding distant lands that are magical and different and wondrous that you only get to see briefly and then never get to return to or um meeting someone who uh like uh the the character of like nyarlathotep is like this ancient weird cosmic being that has like posed as uh an egyptian figure yeah and that like is is like teaching people the secrets of the universe with his film strip yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but like that also feels like very much the like hey this is the time period where we're we're exploiting egypt and everyone is in is romanticizing it and the pyramids and, it's it's tutankhamen um, there was like tutankhamen mania yeah with the, the exploration yeah, yeah, of, no, his, and, of his tomb well 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 and like i don't remember what years it was but like around the time of like i want to say the 20s mm-hmm. um that like people loved like decor like rich people loved decorating with like egyptian motifs um i mean you could just look at um what's his name alistair crowley mm-hmm. like he loved dressing up in like a pharaoh's headdress and i also think that because um, there was a big uh, like occult mysticism movement in yep. in in, yep. in england and the united states as well so you have like the introduction of of you know egyptian uh magic into into society yeah. and yeah mm-hmm. um yeah, there was definitely a romanticizing of it in the twenties, and I think you're right. It definitely, uh, not I don't know if it stems from, but the the Tutankhamen stuff like definitely hyped it up a lot. Yeah, um, Howard yeah, Carter. Like a lot, a lot of that. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that in these in these like uh, Dreamland Dreamlands books. But um, I also read Color Out of Space, which classic. If you guys, if if I'm gonna recommend a, a October read for H.P. Lovecraft read colorado space it's a good it's a good halloween spooky um or watch the movie the movie's movie movie is awesome so uh i want to discuss briefly other deviating a little bit from dadlet just general horror in literature um what are some of your favorite like horror novels or horror stories um any of clive barker's works uh mostly his short stories some that that are a little more niche that i've been kind of been interested in lately are splat some splatterpunk novels um so splatterpunk is this literary movement uh that kind of started in the 80s that was uh a response to horror that was not really that um, was pulling away from the more graphic elements of horror. Um, so you had a lot of writers that um, had read Stephen King, but were also kind of like punks themselves. Like the punk element, there's the splatter element, but there's the punk element in that it focuses on more like younger characters and urban environments. And um, so the author John's so counter counterculture, counterculture, yeah, John Skin. Yeah, that's yeah. a kind of like uh, you, you know the the punk element is. 
like the splatter is good but the punk element's more important almost you know um john skip and uh craig specter wrote this book called uh the light at the end which is about uh new uh, new york city and a, va- a vampire in a uh kind of a it has a a very kind of gritty young character who kind of i thought of as like kind of like a young henry rollins type character um and some other authors i recently read this book called uh the slob by rex miller or i think it's just called slob and it it's a splatterpunk novel it's kind of fun because it's it, it is really as um purple and pulpy and outrageous as like splatterpunk gets at least for splatterpunk of the time that's one of the things that's interesting about uh horror as a genre there's this like fun element to it that like people can have a lot of fun with like especially with the movie making elements of it of like fun like creature effects and gore and um like not taking it too seriously like we talked about reanimator briefly like that's the the core of it right there um uh but then there's like you know it's also great when it does take itself seriously and it is creepy and atmospheric Mm -hmm. and can like be really serious um and then there's also that third element of like halloween movies that are just like fun spooky like spoopy like you know s-p-o-o-p spoopy um that are just like goofy fun um and i love that there's like those those three elements to horror and that all three can exist and all three can be good for their own 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 reasons yeah it is a genre that that is it's nice to have other kind of lighter elements in it that 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 al- yeah, like yeah. I said, have fun with it. It allows yeah. the, the more like horrific stuff to go further when you have something that kind of tamps it, you know, that is a release valve a little bit. Offsets yeah. it, yeah. Another yeah. author I really I, – I read and uh, enjoyed this book is All Heads – it's All Heads Turn When the Hunt Goes By by John Ferris. And it's the story of this – Is that about the wild hunt? No, it's about this family of um, kind of like southern like aristocrats and like, you know, like um, kind of military royalty – and there's this family curse on them, and uh, it starts off with this really kind of intense uh, massacre in a very public place. Uh, it's that's a great book I'd recommend. We mentioned Dan Simmons earlier, and Metastasis, his short story Metastasis, is just phenomenal. So I I, I kind of my while you're talking, my horror the horror section of my brain has been lubricated. So I'm trying now another one too. Harlan Ellison, I always recommend him. Oh, um, he's my I love. Yeah, uh, I have no mouth. What a, I must what scream. A, what an angry, cantankerous man that writes great stories. Um. Yeah, I have no mouth, and I must scream is great for both the cyberpunk genre and for horror. Yes, um, it's good. Uh, he has so many good stories. I, I'm not going to go off on that tangent though; that we'll be here all day. One of them, I um, try and like think of ones that are like that I like that people maybe haven't read because they're not I, like super popular. But there's he has a story. I, I I hope you bring up the one I'm thinking of. Which it's one? called Adrift, just off the islets of Langerhands. No, and I haven't read that one, so I'm writing that down soon. It is a it is a story. The main character I'll just say is Larry Talbot, the Wolfman, and ooh, okay, now you've hooked me. But it has elements of like science fiction and spy fiction in it. it it's really good. Um, 
Um, the one I was going to recommend is uh, one of his labors of love, uh, The Grail. The Grail? I don't know if I read that. The Grail is a really phenomenal um, horror story that he wrote that he poured like a ton of effort and research into. And uh, in one of his like forewords in one of the audiobook collections, um, he talks about how like there's the stories that you write in a, like one sitting and there's no effort put into it. They just flows out of your head. And there's the stories that you sit for months with and work on like uh, and you toil. And it's always interesting which which of those stories people latch on to. He's like, I wrote a uh, boy and his dog in one sitting and it's like one of my most popular stories. But I really love the Grail, and it doesn't get read enough. Maybe I'll maybe I'll read that um, tonight. Um, it's really good. I think you'll like it. Yeah, and in terms of more modern writers, Paul Tremblay is really great. Any of his books are really good. Um, I I he wrote a book called Survivor Song, which is about an outbreak of like super rabies in the United States, and it came out uh, kind of just at the beginning of COVID. And it was really interesting oh, reading no. his vision of like a plague stricken America and seeing some of those elements play out, you know, in front of my eyes, you know. Uh, oh, that's that's a nightmare scenario for me, honestly. Like the COVID stuff really like triggered me. But like, I think it's from growing up watching like Outbreak. Uh, moving on, uh, a couple of my favorite horror stories. Um, I sent you one of them, The Cypher. By Kathy By Koja. Koja. Yeah, Koja. I haven't read it yet. But yeah. yeah. Uh, that's uh, – you You have read it? Or? I haven't. But, I mean, that's on some lists of, like, the yeah. 10 best horror novels. Like, I've seen it on lists like it's that. It's so good. It's so good. Um, def- it, it's it's hard. It's I think you can get it on Kindle now, like, ebook. But, like, for a while, the book was out of print, and it was, like, hard to get. The copy that I sent you – like was a collector's copy or something that I found online for like 30 bucks. I don't remember. Um, I definitely want that back when you're done yeah. with it. Um, no. And then like uh, short, a couple short stories that I highly recommend. First of all, uh, a voice in the, a voice in the night by um, w- William Hope Hodgson. William Hope Hodgson writes a lot of like really good nautical horror. Yeah. He was a sailor himself and a um, bodybuilder. He, if you look up yeah. pictures oh, of him, he is like I didn't, I didn't know he about is that. jacked. Okay, hold on. Now I'm really curious. Um, but that story is kind of cool. Um, it's like people on a ship hear something in the in like the foggy dark, and they call out and like they get an answer, and there's someone like sl- like sliding up alongside their boat in like some sort of like wreck, and is like don't turn the light on it bothers my eyes and so you don't really get to know what the guy looks like and like he's like i'm uh i'm infected don't don't like they're like oh we'll bring you help we'll bring you food or whatever he's like no just toss me some 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 water toss me some food but like he tells them how he came upon like becoming infected and what's going on and the story is like really horrific it's it's cool um and what was the title of that again uh, a voice in the night okay. it's really short you can find uh people reading it on youtube so um and then uh the other story that i i love and this is another fun uh experience that i had with this story let me look at this hot oh my god yeah he's a bodybuilder i didn't know about i didn't know about that uh but anyways uh the other story i was going to bring up is uh who goes there oh very good yeah 
Yeah, Who Goes There is the short story that the movie The Thing is based on. And uh, John Campbell. I read it. Yeah, I, I audiobooked that. And I was, it was the, my first, my first experience being an electrician's assistant years ago, like seven, seven, eight years ago. And, uh, I was on a job site on my, on my own alone, uh, a house that was being built. So it's like, just like a, a skeleton of a house. There's a roof on it, but like there's the, none of the like interior walls are put in. It's just framework, just wooden frame. And I'm up on a ladder on top of a scaffolding. So we have a scaffolding that can roll around and a ladder on top of that that I can kind of like push around and climb up on to to um, staple wiring up and like run the, the veins through the house, so to speak, to, to, to wire it up. And uh, this was still while I was working at the Kava Bar and I was trying to do both jobs. I was a full-time manager at a bar and I was a full-time uh electrician's assistant so i would i would go to work in the morning work all day and then go straight to the bar and work until like three in the morning and get like two hours of sleep and go back to work and then i would take like the weekends or like i would take days off and just sleep all day but i was like going literally insane like all of my customers were like are you okay like you're acting weird and like we can tell you're just tired um like physically i had like bags under my eyes and um one of the days that i'd gone like two days maybe with almost no rest i was on this job up on the ladder up on a scaffolding in a house all alone listening to uh the who goes there and that definitely amped up how effective the horror of that story was um but even without listeners at home you don't need to deprive yourselves of sleep to enjoy the story just go read it it's good it, like the thing is good it's a classic great horror movie um great short story um but the story has the extra element and i say this always anything that's been made into a movie like or the other way around so like i've read the novelization of alien mm-hmm. and the novelization is very interesting because you get like people's internal monologues and thought processes that you don't get in the movie the whole scene where uh dallas is in the air ducts with the motion tracker trying to find the alien so that they can herd it into the air ducts is all from his point of view and you get all of his personal like monologue and like thoughts it's really cool uh, the same goes for who goes there it's cool because the the paranoia of the situation because that, that movie and that story is the best representation of paranoia like you don't know who's who you don't know what's going on you don't know if you if you yourself are who you think you are it's great um oh uh, let me and, let me sorry interject here if you enjoy the movie the thing look up peter watts's short story the things which is oh yeah yeah you sent me that you it sent is me the that. It's great. thing from the perspective of the alien which is very interesting because it has this sort of dispersed consciousness and um it's, yep. it's it's interesting it's a it's it's a cool character study on a creature like um definitely i definitely take connor up on that recommendation say that say it again so people know the things plural by peter watts the it, it was published on clark's world and the Clark's World website still has it up, so you can you can just Google it and read it, and uh, it's it's excellent. 
So, um, that's kind of like what we've gone into with like literature and the extent of our like horror discussion. Uh, I want to ask you about movies, Connor. I'm going to go down a list of classic movie monsters that you and I both love and everyone loves. And I want you to give me your favorite movie representation of this or, or show, I guess, TV show too. Um, Frankenstein. Probably Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the movie where Robert De Niro plays Frankenstein. It's a lot more faithful to the book than the original Universal Monsters movie. And um, it gets kind of more into the the creature's self-awareness and the way it learns to speak and uh, how it, you know, becomes this uh, sort of, you know, like intellectual and emotional creature. I think it it's it it really honors the uh the source material. How about you? Interesting. I was for the same reasons I was going to say Penny Dreadful. There's a TV show called Penny Dreadful. It's got like 3 seasons. It's okay. Uh I really like the production quality of it and I really fell in love with the story of Frankenstein's monster. Um for those of you that don't know Penny Dreadful is kind of like a mishmash of uh horror franchises so like Frankenstein and his monster exist in the same universe as Wolfman and the same universe as Dracula. And like, they all kind of like all the stories kind of intersect and cross over with each other. It's really cool. Um, but the Frankenstein's monster in that there's, there are several, they do bride of Frankenstein at one point. It's really good. But, um, Frankenstein's monster is like dark and broody and uh, like, falls in love with poetry and like you said he becomes like intellectual and um the the course of his story throughout the show is really interesting and like the character that he becomes is really interesting uh moving on uh because i don't want to take too long on this but uh dracula and or vampires what's your favorite vampire movie uh there's a movie called near dark that's my choice okay (laughs) good 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 um, all right, um, Wolfman. The one that I really like, um, and it's not even so much the – it's a good werewolf movie, not because the werewolves are so great. Just the story is great. It's called Late Phases, and it is it features this guy. His name is uh, Nick DiMici, and he is just a, a phenomenal actor. Uh, he he plays like a tough guy. He's always playing these like tough guys. Um, and uh, he, he the story is that he is this blind war veteran, and he uh, is is aging, and he gets checked into this uh, nursing home with all these old people, and there's a werewolf there killing people, and he is he's a badass. He's he's kind of a pain in the ass. Like that that's more than anything is like he he's just a really like grumpy guy, but um, it's a very good movie about you know aging and like i've never heard of this. late phases check it out excellent i was gonna say my, my pick is american werewolf in london it's uh-huh. classic it's got one of the best transformation scenes in it all right this one's gonna be i know you and i are both gonna rant and rave about this but invisible man oh well the classic uh original invisible man yep. is probably the best universal yep. monster yep. movie some, he's not my favorite yeah, absolutely. monster. It's the best produced. It's it's the best produced and the best told. I think best acted because you have a uh, the villain of it is complicated complicated and um, but social and and has a 
he's big also, personality. He also becomes like a like a straight up super villain. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, it's so cool. I love that movie. Um, two other uh, honorable mentions because I love the Invisible Man. Um, have you seen the new? The, the 2020 Invisible it's Man. It's funny, I put it on the other night, and I was enjoying it, but it was also a little too heavy for, like, what I wanted to watch, and I was like, yeah, I'll get to this. Yeah, it is It is heavy. It's it's cool. It was originally supposed to be a part of that, like, shared monster movie mm-hmm. universe, and then, like, that whole, like, production hell of whether or not that was going to happen or not happened, and the director decided to, like, not wait for an answer and just made his own kind of thing. Um... And they went with uh, like different actors in it, even because I think it was originally supposed to have like Johnny Depp or something in it. And they went away. Yeah, from that's that. right. Yeah. Um, I and I think and I think the final product is much better than what would have been made. Um, it's a cool movie. It's like about a stalker that has an invisible man suit, mm-hmm. and about like no one believing the final girl in the movie. It's 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 cool yeah um it's a it's a a really interesting like modern day take on that um and then the other honorable mention is uh just a fun movie memoirs of an invisible man Chevy chase yeah <laughs> uh that, that's also it's not john carpenter that directed that maybe i don't i don't i, I don't know i don't think so i think <laughs> it is wow I think I think it is, um, but uh, it's got Sam Neill in it as like uh, a government man that uh, wants to wants to capture the Invisible Man to use him as like a special agent, uh, wow. as like a super Carpenter, weapon. Yeah, and yeah, and uh, Chevy Chase plays this like doofy like businessman that goes to like a tech summit and wants to go take a nap so he like sneaks off from the the like convention hall and finds like a weird unoccupied lab space to sleep in and his like drink that he brings with him spills or something and causes an accident and like half of the building gets turned invisible and there's this really cool special effect where you like see through parts of the walls and floor and into like offices and it's a the effects in that movie are are what make it worthwhile to see because it's like a take on the Invisible Man using like the practical effects of the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. It's fun. It's not. It's not a horror movie by any means, and it's not spooky, but it's a fun romp. Okay, so moving on though. Um, witches. What's your favorite movie about witches? My favorite witch movie is this one called Eyes of Fire, and um, it came out in nineteen eighty three and. It's uh, it's about this family in colonial America that gets like this this reverend is having an affair with a woman and they the community shuns them so they go off into the the wilderness and they're gonna like start their own you know uh, living you know compound basically they're gonna, they're gonna they're gonna homestead and um, they uh, they encounter it's not so much even actually witch. there is a witch in it she's a good witch she's not like the source of evil but they encounter this like horrific like uh uh forest spirit that starts doing all this weird kind of witchy stuff to them but there's a good witch in it and she she kind of uh she's very natural i think in one scene she's like rolling around in dirt and like just like eating dirt because she's so like when did this uh, co- when, when when was this made when was this produced 1983 
Um, oh, I'm down for this. I'm so down for check this. Check it okay. out. It's on. I think it's yeah. on Shutter right now. But other than that, I would I would also have to say um, that the uh, Robert Eggers movie, The Witch, I also really like. How about you? So, the the remake of Suspiria. Have you seen it? Uh, I have not. I hear it's really good. So, so the the old Suspiria is fantastic. I'm not going to argue that. Um, the new Suspiria, the way I described it when I saw it in theaters, was the movie ended. Every the whole theater was silent. Nobody was talking. Everyone kind of just got up to leave. It wasn't out of it being bad. It was just that movie's intense. And my friend that went to the movie with me got gets up and turns and looks at me. And he goes, what'd you think? And I said, I don't think I liked that. He goes, what? He's like, I don't think I enjoyed watching that movie because that wasn't a movie you enjoy watching. It's a movie you experience. Um, It's intense. It's powerful. It's uncomfortable. Uh, It's everything that uh, a horror movie can be. Not necessarily should be, but like everyone should experience that movie at least once. You might not want to rewatch it. I definitely didn't at the time. I did rewatch it later with some friends, um, and I I enjoyed the experience that time uh, sharing it with some other people. But it's um it's cool. It's it's about a girl who travels to Berlin to um join like a dance school and the all the teachers at the dance school are witches um okay uh the next one's gonna be a little tricky because again i don't don't know how to approach it mummies this is a this is a good one because i think they're they're really um underutilized you know there was a they are there's like a hammer Uh, there's there's a bunch of hammer well there's a, a few hammer horror mummy movies there's there's quite a few of the universal movies i haven't watched all of them i have all of them on vhs i just haven't watched them i mean it's hard for me not to talk about um the mummy with brendan fraser i mean it's that's it just like that's the my best pick. movies ever it's just such a it wonderful one, adventure it's, story it's 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 yeah uh, i hesitate to call it a movie ass movie but it might be a movie ass movie i'm gonna give props to the movie tales from the dark side which is an anthology horror film um that has a uh uh a vignette in it about a mummy and the story feature uh, features uh steve buscemi and i think uh oh. christian slater is also in that story i'm very curious about your answer for this one because i think it's the same as mine zombies um okay day of the dead the third romero film oh okay it is the zombies in this one the, the the zombie apocalypse has been going on for some time and uh the zombies are so decayed and and just aggressive you know they're the the, the zombie design is they're, they're really gross and, and scary looking um and it's set in florida and these people in this underground bunker um and they're kind of starting to to get a cabin fever they're really going at it with each other but uh the zombies are just so good in that how about you I was gonna say Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, that's a good one too. I mean, the I zombies in that, that are pretty damn scary, considering it's kind of There's, a comedy some of horror them are, film. So I don't know if it's supposed to be a comedy horror film. That's the thing. It's such a weird movie tonally. It jumps back and forth between the situation. It's it's like it is funny, 
and like that's the, the movie where like zombies run around and go brains mm-hmm. and like some of the zombies are goofy some of the situations are goofy the characters are losing their goddamn minds trying to like fix the situation and i love how bleak and how like impossible the situation is so uh this everyone should watch this movie but i'm gonna ruin it right now just with the description and uh, it won't even ruin it because it's the experience of the movie that makes it so turn of the living dead uh uh, uh like a guy that's just like a, a a miserable middle management guy i guess he's the owner but whatever he's like telling one of his employees like hey you want to see something cool? I got this stuff down in the, the basement that the military left behind after that case of zombies. And the guy's like, what? That was real? He's like, yeah. And they basically are just referencing the first movie. Yeah, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And it's like, hey, Night of the Living Dead happened and wrapped up and like the world didn't end. And uh, the government was able to like fix it. But like no one like remembers it or whatever but so they go down in the basement and he's got these big like industrial canisters that supposedly hold these like corpses of zombies he's like yeah you can't kill them so they just like box them up and uh the the guy's like is it that dangerous he's like no and he like taps his hand on the thing and he's like what don't do that he's like no these are durable and he hits it and it cracks open and gas shoots out and uh they all start coughing and uh the movie just starts and has this ridiculous cool song that's the opening mm-hmm. of this rock song uh and uh anything the gas touches animates so like th- they are in a like a warehouse that sells medical supplies and they have a cadaver upstairs they have like uh like a uh, bisected dogs to study the anatomy of dogs and like that half of a dog will come to life and move around like body parts, individual body parts come to life. And so like they have this cadaver that comes to life and it's such a goofy scene. This thing's like running around and they're trying to like stop it and put it away and they like kill it and it won't stop moving. So they like bash its head off and like they're, they're crying, trying to like get this thing under control and they like, they basically dismember it and put it in bags and like okay now what do we do uh i don't know the bags are still moving all the arms are still moving the legs are still moving what do we do so they go next door or like a few buildings down to a uh crematorium and they're like hey i've got a friend that'll help me and they go talk to this guy in a tracksuit that looks sus as hell and it's like hey we need you to dispose of these body parts and he's like what like it's and they try to explain it or whatever and he's like yeah whatever so they burn the bodies and the smoke goes up into the sky and a bunch of teenagers start partying at a graveyard and it rains and the rain now has the smoke in it which has the chemical in it so all of the graveyard comes back from the dead and that's all i'm gonna say right now but the fact that no matter what you do the situation just gets worse. Um, but yeah, that's that's the only those are the movies I want to discuss the like monster movies and stuff. So yeah, got any got any uh, just general horror plugs? Things people should watch for for October. Um, gosh, let me give me a second. Um, right, I'll give mine. I'll give mine while you're thinking. Um, 
I was going to say, if you're going to go for old movies, uh, there's an old, not, that's not that old, maybe like the 90s, but like Wreck. It's a Spanish movie that's like a quarantine situation. Spelled R-E-C, just Wreck. Great movie. Um, I was going to say, um, It Follows. That's not that old. That's really good, though. Um, and uh, Drag Me to Hell is a lot of fun. The, yeah, I like all those. I, I for for my short list, if you want some good Halloween season horror movies, um, I would say Halloween Four um, is okay. a good one. It 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 is very it captures something autumnal. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, I hope you all have a happy Halloween and a good October. Um, yes, yes. Wait a minute. Guys... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait what? a second. What? What are you dressing up as for Halloween? I don't know yet, Connor. I've been so busy with uh, like projects and writing and podcast reading that I haven't had time to like order anything or get anything. Yeah. Um, uh, I know my. I think my friends are all gonna um, do kind of like folksy uh, kind of stuff. I don't know. I I might. I might get out my houdini splicer mask from bioshock and try to like get some kind of like fey type outfit together and be some sort of like forest demon okay the other idea i had and i don't know if i can accomplish it in time is they have these really cool scarecrows at home depot and i was thinking about trying to buy the same exact outfit as the scarecrows and put one in my yard and then stand next to it like I'm just another one of the scarecrows and then I can like spook kids. That's yeah. Well, good. Terrorize <laughs> terrorize the children. For too long they've been the ones saying trick or treat. It should be the it should be the adults, the you know, the 30-year-old uh people who who are out terrorizing the younger people. <laughs> is that not what Halloween is for? Yeah, I'm well, confused. <laughs> All right, that's so. Good. What What are you dressing up as, Mister? I was thinking I might dress up as Tom Clancy. Really? Which is good dadlet uh, outfit. I mean, I'm terrified. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions, you can reach out to us via Gmail. Email us at dadlitpodcast at gmail or probably the better way to get a hold of us is via uh, Instagram at Dadlit Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, send us send us uh, your recommends for spooky movie and spooky book, and tell us what you're dressing up as for Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Get out of here. Just don't ask questions.